What's going on? Welcome back to another ESL podcast, man. I got my windows wide open. I'm feeling good. And today is another investment podcast. That's right, guys. And you know what? I was actually looking at some of the information. I'm like, dude, this stuff, I think it might be too much for even me. Going into mathematical models and values, securities, all that stuff. I'm like, eh, I'm going to spare you all the crazy details. Okay. So what I would do and what I'm going to do right now, I will give you a nice short snippet um, of, you know, the whole outperformance of the market, you know, what, which I mentioned briefly in uh, last week's podcast. And then we're going to go into a morning call with New Capital Bank. So first and foremost, let me read this out for you guys. Can you really outperform the market? Your fund manager may confidently claim that they could regularly outperform the market, but don't expect this to continue. The hard fact is that nobody outperforms the market consistently over time. The efficient market hypothesis tells us that all available information is included in the current price, so all market participants know the same information at the same time. However, I'm sorry, however hard you study the fundamentals, everybody knows the news at the same time as you, so why bother? And what about technical data? Remember, those chart patterns tell us about past price action. They don't predict the future, and most of the time your analysis of those patterns will be wrong. But there's always quantitative models, which is mathematical software packages that can accurately predict price and select the best stock to buy. In the short term, these models can yield spectacular results, but every software package I've ever seen only works for a while, and then when the market conditions change, it stops working. If you're in it for the long term, there's no magic bullet. So what could you do? Passive investment tracks a market or index such as the S&P 500 out there on Wall Street. It follows market sentiment as it rises and falls and provides the same, if not better, returns as actively managed funds without all the analysis and stress. (sighs) In saying that, you got to get yourself a quantitative model. So what we're going to do now, we are going to listen to a snippet. It's New Capital Bank. All right. It's an equity income fund, which invests in shares in the property, energy and banking sectors. So what you're going to do is listen to the fund managers discussing market developments and make notes under each heading for the three sectors. The three sectors are property, energy, banking, current situation in all three, second column, action for all three. All right. And then, of course, we will speak about it. Now, again, there are a couple of other things and a couple of other things in regards to news reports, which I could do, but I don't have someone else here with me to do that. And then into next week's podcast, we're going to talk about financial shocks and some good listening. We're going to dive deep into all those wonderful vocabulary terms that you guys, I know, are itching for. So with that being said, guys, let me hurry up and screen share the hell out of this. And we're going to go straight into the audio. And let's listen to these fund managers do a little talking. Act four. Okay, thanks for finding the time, everyone. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Sure. Yeah. So, 
Where are we this morning? Let's go through the sectors, starting with property. Rafa? Well, as you know, we're fairly heavily invested in property development companies in Asia at the moment. We're getting news of a slowdown in the building boom there. So do you think we should maybe close some of our positions? Not yet, but we should definitely monitor the situation. We should be prepared to move some of our holdings to European investments. The property market there is showing signs of growth. But at the moment you're suggesting a wait-and-see strategy? That's right. We should keep those positions open at the moment. Okay. And what about energy? Well, there's not much change, to be honest. We closed our positions in several shale companies last month, and we're focusing on mainstream oil producers, as oil prices are rising steadily. But you wouldn't suggest adding to this position? Not massively. We've been increasing our investment slowly for some time and should keep doing this. But I don't think we should open any new positions. Okay, and what about banking, Bob? Well, the sector is undergoing a lot of turmoil at the moment. The changes to regulations and fines for misconduct are still working their way through the industry. So you're rather pessimistic about the industry? Well, we've got open positions in a few of the larger banks at the moment, and I'd suggest holding those. But I can't recommend increasing our exposure at the moment. There's going to be a downturn in profitability in the short term, but we could make new investments longer term. Ah, all right. Oh, my God. There's so much, man. So think about it. I know I mean, at some point, some of you may have like said, you know what? Okay, property in my country, energy in my country, banking in my country. You know, over the last probably, oh, my God, it, it has to be over the last year. The Bank of Thailand, which is like the ultimate banking, um, which is like the ultimate banking uh, bank. There we go. Let's put it that way. They have been projecting a lot of different things, like especially in regards to currency. I remember five years ago, it was 36 or 35 point like eight Thai baht for every one US dollar. But when I moved here back in 2013, it was literally 30 Thai baht for every one US dollar. So you can imagine how much money I lost and especially how much money I lost sending money back home to America, which of course I don't do anymore because my American bank account is self-sustaining and it doesn't need money to be transferred into anymore. So in saying that, it's really, really interesting to see, um, you know, looking at, what is happening right now with currencies, but I would have to say property boom too. Guys, I kid you not. I remember five years ago being out here, and again, I was on the outskirts of Bangkok, but I was still rightfully aware of what was happening. In this specific area, just three years ago when I moved here in De on December 20th of December, of December, oh God, December 20th, 2017, there was a beautiful view right in front of my window. I could look all the way straight over to the beautiful, um, the beautiful MRT. I could see my job. I mean, it was spectacular. I could still see my job, but since then, guys, to be honest with you, there is a colossal 40-story condo that's going up just across the road. Over here to my right and blocking almost a view of my workplace on Saturday and Sunday is another massive condominium. And to be honest with you, if you go left and you go down the road about four kilometers, you will see 
probably 10 different kilometers going up. There's a condo boom happening in Thailand right now. I don't know how these dumbass developers are profiting. And I don't know. And of course, there's just rampant corruption because obviously, you know, the majority of this city and the transport ministry, the different ministries out here, all of them are just hampered with rampant corruption. So you can imagine whoever sells this land, the government, these investors, they come in, they say, listen, you're either going to sell it for this or we're going to kill you. Okay. That's probably how it goes. Because it doesn't make any sense to see so many of these condominiums with no one living in them. So think about it. I believe that there's a condo bubble, right? Just like there was the housing market bubble out there in America. I believe right now that there is a condo bubble. And what this means is that I believe that the value of the majority of these condos are going to, is going to supplant. Meaning they're priced in these condominiums, and it's not that expensive, at about probably fifty to 150000 USD. If you pay 150000 USD for a condominium here to buy it, it's a ridiculously gorgeous condo. That would go for millions upon millions of dollars out there in America. The thing is, who are you going to rent it out to? How many people can you actually squeeze into this goddamn city? This city houses probably about 14% of the overall population of this country, and this country is vast. So you look at the other places, such as Krabby, which is completely, man, that country, that goddamn city is KO'd. It has been knocked out because of the coronavirus, right? If you look at Phuket, knocked out. Guys, no one lives in these areas, except retirees from foreigners, like over 60s, and they're not really pumping in a goddamn thing to the economy anyways. So what Thailand really needs to do is to bring foreign investors to invest in the country. But the thing is, you build these massive colossal condominiums, and then 49% are going to be sold to the Chinese. Not saying that in a derogatory way, but they don't even live here. So then what's gonna happen and when the, when the Chinese really start coming in here, the majority of this city can end up becoming Chinese. It could very well, because they're not going to be contributing to the Thai economy. They're going to be contributing to the Chinese economy within the Thai economy. So instead of bringing in foreign investors and like biotech and, you know, computer software engineers to help better different things around the city and whatnot, you're bringing in a bunch of people who just have money they buy one-time fees, and then they're going to saturate the hell out of this market. This is what's really scary because there's going to be two existing com uh, economies within one economy. These condo booms, they're going to be packed with just Chinese people because, of course, Thai people, they can't afford the majority of these condominiums. And if they buy it, they're going to be at a loss. So when I look at economics, people, you really got to understand this from a very, like, I'm talking like a core that like, what is the number one principle that's at play here? Ties, the government, they're selling short term, but they're completely destroying the economy and the entire country with it long term. Because there's a high speed well that's happening and being built from China, and it's going to go straight into the Bangsu one, which has already opened, right? You can imagine how many investors are going to start flowing into this country from China, because again, it's going to be a very easy loophole to come from, you know, the Southwest side of China straight into Thailand. And so Laos, the first country that they're going to go into, and they're building this massive, you know, MR, what, what is it? Train station right now. And 
what's going to happen is Lao, it being one of the you know poorest countries in Southeast Asia and having like a GDP to the size of Timor Leste, they're going to be overrun. The new Silk Road is going to run into here. It's going to go into Malaysia and ultimately into Singapore. So you could only imagine Southeast Asia will not be Southeast Asia anymore. And the thing is, again, I'm all for business. I'm all for that and whatnot. But again, what is the hidden agenda behind what's happening with countries wanting to take stake and get claim over land in different countries? It's kind of like what happened with, obviously, you know, the Chinese, the different governments out there that began investing into Kenya train stations. And I'm like, listen, China, what are you really trying to do? Let's be honest here. Come on. You didn't just wake up one morning and say, let's go help some black people in Kenya. No, 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 no. Tell me what you're trying to do here. And again, because Kenya is under rampant corruption with their government, they're like, hell yeah, man, we need all the money we can get. But little do they know, they're going to owe debt over the next 40 to 80 years. And if they're unable to pay it, which Kenya will be unable to pay it, guess who's going to start stripping that land away, which the train tracks are on. See what I mean? It's kind of like last year during the coronavirus. There was a, in Rayong, which is about two hours away, uh, obviously from uh, where I am right now. It's, uh, it's kind of like an industrial complex uh, type of area. Um, a couple of businesses had gone out, obviously due to the COVID-19. And what ended up happening was, you know, the Chinese are like, hey, we'll go, we'll buy it. And of course, what's the government going to do? They're going to sell short, short term so they can hurry up and keep building up those offshore banking accounts. And guess how many families and how many people are going to create an entire new city within Thailand? Guys, within about 50 years, we're going to see the absolute anarchy that's going to be happening here. Thailand is going to be completely bought out. Why? They are going for short-term economics rather than long-term impact. So when we're discussing different things in terms of current situations with property, I see it happening here. I think there's going to be a significant problem. Minimum wage isn't rising like it is in America. All big shout out to, of course, Joe Biden that's trying to raise the minimum wage to what it should be, you know? But here in Thailand, nothing's going up. Even if they raise it like 10 baht, 20 baht, Based on the train station and how they got everything that, you know, the trains out here and how everything is, dude, this is a disaster. It really is. And so I don't know what's going to happen. Banking, I really don't care so much about banking. Um, but when I'm looking at the huge developments that are happening in this country right now, this could be doomsday. And again, I, I just don't know if the fools don't want to see it at the head of this country or they do see it and they're just laying over and saying, okay, well, let's just let this happen. But they should understand that there is no longer going to be a Thai economy. It's going to be a Chinese economy. And again, I'm all for the Chinese if they come in here and they work hand in hand with the Thais or with the Kenyans or with the, uh, you know, with the Nigerians, if they're planning on building Silk Road there. But based on what the hidden agenda is behind them, which I know there is, it's going to be completely different. So again, I don't know. I don't know. Again, not my country, not mine to say, but would I invest into a condominium out here? Hell no. The value should drop by at least 
before I invest anything. It's kind of like Bitcoin, right? Which I was talking about last time. It dropped to about what, 5,000 baht a coin? Right? I'm sorry, not 5,000 baht, 5,000 US dollars per coin. But now it's at over 60,000. Come on, man. So guys, now I'm, I'm really excited about what's happening. But at the same time, I really feel bad for Thai people because they could ultimately lose their country based on short-term economics and people just wanting to make their goddamn pockets fat. So it's all, I mean, we're just, it's just going to have to wait to be seen. But, oh man, it's, it's a dire situation. So in saying that, people, there's still so much to talk about, especially financial shocks and vocabulary terms to be going over in the next podcast. But again, thank you so much for tuning in to another wonderful ESL podcast. You better stay tuned for more over and out.